Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. Today, we have Mia Zeidler. She is in her fourth year at UC Santa Cruz pursuing a BA in film and digital media. Currently, she's working as a music assistant at Creative Control Entertainment. Mia is seeking a career in music editorial for film, TV, and video games. Find out right now on the First Act Podcast how Mia started developing her skill set when she was just a teenage skater on the streets of California to her incredible tricks on how to get in touch with industry people who appear to be out of reach. And now, hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, because we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. Mia, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Cool. So on our last conversation, you had shared with me a little bit more of your story, some obstacles that you've had to overcome. We're going to delve into that a little bit, but why don't you tell everybody who you are, your age, you're preparing to graduate. Why don't you give a little intro of yourself? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Harrison. So my name is Mia. I'm currently in my fourth year at UC Santa Cruz. I'm currently living in Santa Cruz, California. I'm majoring in film and digital media, and then I'm minoring in music production. I've spent the past couple of years pursuing a degree in sound in film, uh, TV and video games, and I'm currently 22 years old. Great. Wow. So you have all of this experience. I like how you shape it. You spend the last three or four years working in these fields. So what have some of your internship experiences been so far? Definitely. So first, when I entered college, I was really unsure of where I wanted to go. I didn't have any family in the industry. So when I first came in, it was very alarming to me. I didn't know who to talk to and what companies I was interested in. I just knew that I was really interested in working in entertainment. And so I first started out kind of looking into booking agencies. And then my freshman year, I ended up landing a job at Universal Attractions Agency as their booking agent intern. And primarily there, it was my job to create spreadsheets for the artists that we rostered. And we rostered some amazing artists. And that's one of the primary reasons I tried to work there. I got to work on artists such as Florida, Scarface, salt and Pepper. And it was amazing experience to kind of route these tours for them and to learn about the regional sections that each agent takes on and their purpose and kind of what the setup is for getting an artist on tour, because that's basically the top way that artists can make their money. And so that was a really awesome internship. And after that, I recognized that it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I took the skills that I had gotten from that and I was really headset on music supervision And it wasn't taught at my school. So that was a really challenging thing of like, how do you learn about something that's not offered in your education? And so I immediately started looking for opportunities, ways to get involved. And I ended up running into a friend whose father happened to be a music supervisor. And it was perfect place, perfect time. And we just started talking. And long story short, I wasn't able to get an internship my second year but I was able to work with his dad and to learn from him. And so I really got to see the beginning kind of layer of music supervision. And I got referrals to people he knew who I still talk to. And I got to read some awesome books as well as join in on some of his meetings. So that was a really awesome experience. And I knew after that point that I wanted to go more towards 
music in film and TV or sound design in film and TV. Although they're both on completely different spectrums, I knew that that was my pathway that I was going to focus on figuring out where I want to go. And so I spent the next year really trying to build up skills. Um, I targeted smaller companies and I worked at a production company as well as an audio intern. And that was a really great experience. It got me a lot of hands-on work. And although it was a smaller company with content that I wasn't as aware of, I still got to learn kind of the organizational file management basic things that production companies want you to know. And after that, I fell myself into my new job, which I'm a music assistant working under Joel C. High, who owns Creative Control Entertainment. Um, and he has a really great long relationship with Tyler Perry. And so that is what a lot of our work has primarily been focused on. And that's been amazing. I'm currently in a role right now where I've wanted to be for the past four years. I feel wanted and I feel like I'm actually doing important work. And so it's been an amazing experience. But when I look back at the variety of jobs I've had, I don't regret being able to see all the different facets of the industry. It's a great story. And especially you're what, 21, 22 years old now? Yeah, only 22. It's pretty crazy. I feel like a lot older. <laughs> I went through a lot during my childhood. I won't go too deep into it, but I felt like my earlier years were a lot harder emotionally. And so when I got to college, I was a lot older maturity wise than a lot of people I knew. But I think that that played into a lot of the relationships that I was able to form with older people who allowed me and guided me in how to kind of get into this industry. And they all became my mentors. I mean, I have like a huge family of support right now. That's great. So I know that we've touched upon your current experience, but I remember when we first spoke, you were telling me that you ran a YouTube channel and you used to be a skateboarder. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I I started out filming all my friends skateboarding. You were how old at this point? I think I was 16. It's probably like 16, 17 at that point. It was in the midst of middle school. We were transitioning into high school. I always had like a rough time getting along with girls. I don't know what it was, but I was always drawn and I always had a lot more guy friends and we would just skateboard. They would just be out all day, every day in Westwood in Los Angeles and just skateboard all around. And we would go downtown and that was our mode of transportation. That was our activity for the day. We could go to museums on our skateboards. We could go basically anywhere. And one day I was just sitting on the curb when I was being very lazy. And I was like, why am I sitting here on the curb? I'm, I'm always here with these guys. And so I picked up my iPhone and I started filming. And that was the first time I ever filmed something that was going to be put into a video that could be transformed into a form of art. And I think that that just transitioned everything for me because after that I was interested in getting cameras and I just kind of like was super interested in pursuing whatever this was. In the beginning, I thought I might be like a skateboard editor who works on thrasher videos, but that didn't obviously go that way. So I, <laughs> I kind of transitioned when I got into college and tried to find more of a specialization in film rather than just kind of continuously videotaping skateboarders. It's a really interesting job, I guess, to be, to be that person who pulls out their camera. It's something so yeah. small, but you know, like my friends and I, do that even now we'll like we'll go skiing in the mountains because like you know mm. that's covid friendly and Definitely. you know i'll bring my snow blades my friends will be on their snowboards and like we'll do we'll do jumps you know like, we're not doing we're not doing flips and stuff like that Definitely. but you know we'll try to get some bigger air a couple grabs and 
it's really cool because like I was the one who first pulled out my phone and I was shooting my friends and it's crazy how like the dynamic of that changes because then they're like oh let me like on the chairlift back up they're like let me see that video oh yeah that's what I looked like going off that jump and then you're actually able to give them some notes or they're able to give themselves some notes or each other some notes it just becomes like more of a learning experience and how you can get better and how you can make it work nicely with the film and everyone's like okay Mia Mia, Mia's our girl she has to come with us everywhere now because she's going to be shooting everything and then you learn how to edit it and make it look nice and yeah great skills yeah, definitely. I look back at some of my old edits and I'm impressed by my early work. I mean, it's definitely stuff that I've changed over time and my edits are a lot cleaner and my song choice is a lot more useful. But I definitely find that you have to have a lot of patience to be a filmer of a skateboarder, of a snowboarder. And I think that that's something really important that that taught me was how to be patient with allowing the artist who is a skateboarder in a way to do his trick to complete it to his ability and for him to feel like he actually improved like you were saying is a really important thing and I wish I could go back to those days I honestly always think about that I I consistently go back to these videos and recall these past memories that really led me to where I am now in my career your YouTube channel, did you guys get a large following? Like, how did you manage that? How did you help grow it? Our YouTube channel was definitely not a large following. I was following a lot of larger YouTubers like Delhi Status, and I was just super inspired. I mean, I would sit at home a whole day watching YouTube videos and just like, if you still go to my YouTube channel now, all of my likes are just skateboarding videos. And I was so inspired by these other channels that were able to build this that I had this idea in my head, like, okay, I'll take all my friends and we'll make this long video and everybody will get their own part. We'll focus on one person. You know, one day we'll go out with one person. We'll just film all of them. And that was awesome, but we never got a large following. A lot of our friends would watch our videos and, you know, we had that community of our friends and we had friends putting on skate shows where they would do their own films. So there was definitely a culture there, but I did have another YouTube channel. My other YouTube channel was called Art Tribe TV and Art Tribe TV actually did have a following. And we focused on interviewing artists around Los Angeles for an annual event that would happen that would promote congenital heart disorder. And that was an awesome YouTube TV show and we got a great following and that I had to consistently stay up to date on making sure that people were watching our content. And so that was a really cool way on learning marketing and also controlling the visuals and audio that people are seeing and hearing. So having this experience, you know, managing your own content, editing, shooting it, giving people notes and feedback and, you know, kind of learning the effects side as well as the marketing and staying on top of your content, being very organized. Like these are things that I'm also, you know, learning a lot as I'm running a podcast, you know, at 16, 17 years old, when then you were interviewing for universal attractions agency to be an intern there, I'm sure you spoke about your experience, right. In your interview. Yeah, I I think I did. To be honest with you, I think about this daily because MF doom just passed away and or he passed away in October, we just found out about it recently. And I was in love with MF Doom when I was first getting into music. There was so many different things that he was doing that were something like sampling and just being more experimental with his music really opened me up. And I remember that interview 
pretty well. I remember I did answer some questions about how I first got started and what interested me, but I remember I got asked who my favorite artist was and I said MF Doom and the interviewer said I won the interview. So <laughs> I don't know if I got the interview because of my past and skateboarding, but I think that it was my interest overall in the music and the people that they rostered. Um, I was just very genuinely interested, but I do think I've been open to telling people about my past skateboarding and filming. And I found that a lot of people are very similar and found their way into this by doing the same thing. I just spoke to a music publisher the other day at Apple who is very into skateboarding and he kind of started out that way as well. And so it's great to connect with people and it creates a family because people who used to skateboard know kind of that culture and understand what that is like. And I mean, I had like a family of guy friends who just protected me and they always knew that they could come to me when they wanted to film something and I was down. Yeah. Like I used to skateboard too, but you know, growing up, growing up in Canada, we only had like two or three months of summer. So, yeah. you know, we, we couldn't board all year round, but I ended up playing a lot of the video games with my friends, like the Tony Hawk games. And, you know, Those it's funny fun. that, you know, you're following this path of like mu- music supervision and wanting to place songs into video games or movies because like i don't know if you played those games but they always had like banging soundtracks (laughs) definitely yeah i agree and i've i've been lucky enough to be talented at video games so i can play pretty much a good variety of games ranging from skate to uh, tony hawk which i'm not that great at tony hawk's video games but it's absolutely amazing the way that people have been able to do music into video games especially in games like grand theft auto where they have all of the variety of radio stations i mean it's just fantastic to be able to be able to include that because it just adds to the game it adds to the environment and it just creates the user experience that the game company wants and i think that It's an amazing thing when you add sound to a video game. I'm currently working on a virtual reality environment and they didn't have sound when I first walked in and they weren't going to present sound during the demo. And after inputting sound for them, things are just brought to life. You can feel yourself in the environment. So I think it does really increase that individual experience. Yeah, it's, it's one of your main senses that, you know, people really connect with the content. Our GTA is a great example. Like, you know, they also had like the commercials in between songs. Yeah. Like, it, it's very cool. Like it's, it's a yeah. whole new experience. Like I wasn't for, you know, like killing hookers and taking their money and stuff <laughs> like that. Like it wasn't just like my vibe. Whereas like some of my friends were really into that, but I would play these games mostly for the soundtrack. So you're attracting a whole other audience to these games that, that people might not normally play them. But if you throw in the sound or some good soundtracks or a lot of variety, you increase the chance of a lot more people engaging with it. Definitely. And I think that those partnerships that these companies make with those artists are really important to have, especially because people like Flying Lotus are people who are playing these games. And so making sure that you're interacting with the people who are some of the biggest consumers who have the biggest following is definitely important in maintaining that company. But yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's really exciting. Video games is something hopefully in my future that I can get into. And I really hope that that's something that comes my way in the future. So at what point did you start your networking hunt? Because last we spoke, you told me you'd spoken probably to more than 100 people over the last year or two, just interviewing them, trying to gain advice and just trying to meet people that work in different areas of entertainment. 
Right. Yeah. So I'm going to embarrass myself a little because I think everybody's experienced this. And so I was trying to network my first two years. And when I say trying to network, I was connecting with recruiters, asking them about specific internships that I wanted. I was never ever doing the networking that I'm doing right now. I started out by just messaging people regarding internships that I had seen and I really wanted and I did not phrase things properly. Um, I never really addressed people properly. I never made sure that they understood that I was interested in them. And so I messed up my first two years by really focusing on internships rather than the people that I was speaking to. And so I reread through the messages that I never got responses to. How cringe was that? Oh my God. I mean, you, the best part is though, is I would re-message these people now that I'm more mature in my typing skills and I would get responses. So you really do see these differences when you approach people differently. But I did start doing things differently my third and fourth year. I will say that when COVID hit, I saw that this was going to be the best time to take advantage of these things that I had already been doing because everybody was going to be at home. So I vamped things up during COVID, but right before COVID is when I started to kind of draft these new messages to people. And it was at that point where I recognized that recruiters were really important people to talk to, but it wasn't working for me. I wasn't able to be myself. I wasn't able to learn more about what I wanted to hear about, which were the positions I was applying for. And so I had an idea of, instead of reaching out to recruiters, which thousands of people are doing on a daily basis, I reached out to the people who were actually doing the positions. So I reached out to people like dialogue editors, supervising sound mixers, music supervisors, editors, People all over the industry. I did not just stick in sound. I pulled outwards. So how did you know that these jobs existed? So that I think is the most challenging thing. And that's something that I hope to hone in in this conversation is that I didn't know about all the different jobs in these roles until I started talking to people and until I started going to panels. I was recently in a Foley panel when I found out that there is a huge separation between the people who do the voiceover recordings, all the Foley people, all of the people who are recording and mixing their work. There's just such a large team that's built a part of thousands of people. And so I think that until you started participating in panels with these people who are directly in these jobs or asking people who are in the industry, there isn't a huge knowledge of all of these different roles. There definitely is stuff online. So I spent a lot of my time looking into whatever I could find my hands on, but it wasn't until this year that I figured out a lot of these things. So I think it does take a lot of pursuit of your own interest But it also just takes, like I said, talking to the people who are doing it, because not until I spoke to tons of music supervisors did I find out that the job is so different than I imagined it to be. And that there's so many different aspects that every music supervisor is different. And so everybody who works in the industry, regardless of their role, is always going to be doing a different job than the next person at a different company. And so that's also a great thing to think about and remember is that the job is going to vary at every company. And so if you don't fit into one company perfectly, you could fit into the other just right because they don't require one thing that the other company did. And so that's something important to think about is the work that my boss is doing is way different than the work 
that a music supervisor like Jen Malone is doing because whatever projects they're working on are just completely separate. And so they're always just going to have to be doing different things, although some of the tasks might be similar. So I want to backtrack for a second. You're talking about approaching people over email. So, you know, looking back at some of those old messages, you said they were pretty cringe and I can totally relate to that. Like I, I've had my fair share of horrible emails that I've written out that have, well, I'd say like 80% of the time they don't work out. And then 20% of the time you might actually get someone who's like, okay, like I see what you're going for here. You know, I'll give you a shot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're usually writing like blocks and blocks and blocks of text. Yeah. And, you know, who has time to read that, especially if you're reaching out to somebody who's higher up at a company. So Definitely. I feel like something that's not taught in school is how to approach people over email. So what are some pieces of advice that you can give all the listeners on what you find it has been successful now that you've sent probably hundreds of emails like this out? So I think that one thing that you always want to find when you're messaging somebody is a connecting link, whether it's the fact that they're an alumni from your school or that they're working in something that you see yourself pursuing further down the line. I think it's really important to find that one thing and identify that in your opening statement. I keep my introductions very short. I think usually at max, they're five to six sentences. I usually reach out to people first on LinkedIn before they give me their private email. And so that I think only allows me about 200 words or less. And so I usually open it with a email such as, hello, you know, I'm very interested in speaking to you regarding your experiences. I think that's the key thing is that I'm interested in hearing about their experiences. I don't want them when I'm walking in there, I don't want them to do anything for me. I, of course, there's jobs I want in the future, but when I'm walking in there, I really want to hear about the jobs they did. I want to hear what skills they find vital, why they like the companies they're in, and what they think about their future, because everybody's moving around all the time in these companies. And so that was a huge thing for me is like approaching the search in different ways and making sure to filter my search to find different people. But I think that always making sure that you have a connecting link between you two, whether it is as simple as I want to be a sound editor and they're a sound editor. And then make sure that you let them know that you're a current student, let them know that you're really interested and offer to set up a very short Zoom or phone call. Um, people love when you just ask for a 30 minute phone call because that's the amount of time that people usually have to do those things but also they're really open to the fact that you're on top of it you're suggesting doing that you're not waiting for them to suggest it on their behalf so I will say though that I I send out a ton of these emails I always do this consistently and I've received a large amount of response I mean of course you don't hear responses sometimes from some people but I can say that out of like one in five people, I probably get three to four responses most of the time. Wow. That's great. So that's a very, very high hit rate. And, you know, there's two things there. One, the first thing is that, you know, you're talking about, you know, being direct and actually the one, being the one to set up those 30 minute calls. Sometimes, you know, depending on how high up they are in the company, when I'll reach out to people that are, you know, maybe outside of my network, I would even try to say, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of your time because, a little tactic that I like to use is if I can get them for on the phone for 10 minutes or for 15 minutes and you're asking them the right questions right from the get-go and they seem engaged in the phone call, then you can say, Hey, listen, I know that, you know, I asked for 10 minutes. I just want to be cognizant of your time. Do you have, you know, an extra five or 10 minutes that we can chat for? If not, we can set up time another time. And then they're way more likely 
to either just give you that half an hour or longer, or they'll set up another time slot because you've, you've shown that you respect their time. Definitely. Yeah. And a great way of showing them that you respect their time is always following up with a follow-up email, thanking them for their time again, regardless of how, if you had done it in the meeting. But I find that those are the times where I usually can meet other people as well and be suggested podcast books, different things that they think I would be interested in. And so I think that there's always room for extended conversation. And it's definitely important to think about who you want to support you. I know that one of the things that I've been talking about a lot is mentorships and support. And a large part of this process of meeting people and getting to know them, having these conversations is identifying people that I do genuinely get along with, that I can see myself having long-term friendships with. And I think that that is something that people learn is that you aren't going to get along well with everybody. You will get along with people, but you might not stay close and talk to them as often, but then there will be those people who really like you and want to see you grow. And I've found a lot of them and I'm so grateful because sometimes I feel bad that I might not be reaching out to somebody I talked to a couple months ago, but I'm realizing that these other friendships that I do keep up with, are really due to genuine interest. And so I think that it's good to acknowledge that you shouldn't force yourself to make something happen and you shouldn't force yourself to keep an ongoing friendship just because you want a job at a certain company. If you guys don't get along and you kind of sense that or you think that you know your interests are separated, there's somebody else at that company who you might be better aligned with. And so it's just great to realize that if you notice that your interests or your character traits are not as similar as the next person, that's not always how it's going to be at that company. I, I really liked what you said before also is that, you know, when you approach people, your starting sentence is kind of like why you're reaching out to them and what you'd like to know specifically about them, how, you know, you're really just asking questions about them. And I'm not sure if you realize the link, but, you know, when you were 16, 17 years old, and being a skateboarder, the way that you provided value was recording what other people are doing so that it could be to their benefit, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're the, you right there become like the center of value where they're like, oh, like how, how often did your friends say, Mia, I really want to see that video that you just recorded? Or what did I look like when I did that kickflip or when I was grinding down that rail? Like how often did that happen? It was like after every single clip. Right. It's like, okay, let's let's see this one next. Yeah, so, sh- yeah. Show me that one. Show me this one. Show me this one. And okay, I want you to edit these three ones and I want that one to go on YouTube. But it's like you became probably one of the most valuable members of that group, not only because you know you're you're a cool chick, but like also because you had that additional value that you were providing them with. Like everybody wants to know more about like what they're doing right? Or to talk about what they're doing. And you provided them with that outlet or that resource, the same way that, you know, you're approaching people and you're networking, you're taking that same approach, but you're putting a different spin on it. You're saying, well, I want to know a little bit more about you. Can you talk to me about you? And like, even like when you hit me up, you're like, Hey, I I noticed you do this podcast. And I was already like, Oh, yay. Like a fan who wants to talk about my podcast. Yeah. I'm down to hop in that call. And you know, and then all these other things come out of it. Now you're a guest on the podcast, which is kind of fun. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So how can you be a little bit more specific and targeted when you're approaching somebody at a company that you want to maybe work at, or you just want to build relationships at, 
I asked this because I had, I had a chat. I speak with a lot of different students and about mm-hmm. networking in particular and how to grow your network and, you know, people that might want to move from one city or country to another. It's really important to establish that network. And someone I was talking to, one of the mistakes that they had made was they, they approached a company that was like at this point in their career, like a dream job. And they wrote like the info at email and they were like, Hey, can you put me in touch with one of the artists on your team? So obviously they haven't heard back. Yeah. I want yeah. you to tell me how, how, how would you have changed that? So I would have definitely done my research. I think that research is the number one key thing, but also something that I've really learned throughout my meetings with people is that when you get into the meeting with that person, you will have the opportunity to ask them the questions about working at the company. You will have the time to ask them about the artists. They will field your questions. So my biggest advice is get them in the room. Get them to accept your invitation to have a conversation with them and then bring up questions about the company. Because I think a lot of the times that I found issues was that people saw that I was more interested in the company than in themselves. And so rather than reaching out to the info link, I would go on LinkedIn, look up that company, go to the people section, and then find somebody who might be an A&R person at that company, find somebody who might be an HR, find somebody who might be just willing to teach somebody and connect with them through there and show them that you're interested in hearing about their experiences and just interested in hearing more about the company. And I'm sure from that way, you can get into the room with them and then ask them your questions. However, when forming a question, like wanting to be placed in contact with one of the artists, you should usually know the artists that you're trying to be placed in contact with. So regardless of what company you're going into, you want to make sure that you have an idea of whether it's the genre or if it's a band that you can give examples. You can't just approach people as if you know they know who you are, because I think that's actually something really important is that until you talk to somebody about three times, they're not going to remember you or what you're doing. They're going to kind of think about you maybe from time to time and you might slip in and out of their brain, but no one's going to be like, oh, right, that's Mia. And so it's really important to create this professional relationship where you can find somebody to go ask these questions to. And so unfortunately, like the info emails that are provided sometimes by companies are really not directed for students to be doing that. And so I really recommend finding people at the company online that are willing to talk to you because sometimes the people fielding those emails are just getting so many emails per day about unfortunately way more important things for people that do actually take priority. What happens if you reach out to somebody that you're like, this is the person that I really want to get in touch with and you write them a message on LinkedIn or you try to message them on their email and they just don't write you back. What do you do? So that happens quite a lot. I think that that happens to me more than often. There are people who I really wanted to talk to and I found that like I knew all the reasons I wanted to talk to them and I just never heard back. And I was really frustrated. I always felt like, I was confused, but I understood after starting to do work, I think that that's something I should have started off with in this conversation is the biggest thing that somebody can do for themselves who's trying to get into a career in entertainment, to music, whatever, is to get your hands on some projects that allow you to work in those fields right now. I was sitting in on a panel and that is the best advice I got from the Guild of Music Supervisors is 
do work now. Don't wait until you walk into the right person's Zoom meeting and ask them for something and they hand you something because it doesn't happen that way, unfortunately. And then when it does, you are just so lucky. And so always making sure that you're looking for student opportunities to get involved in, things that are local, people who are alumni who are always looking for students. Um, that's a key method for being able to then walk into the room with some of these people and have work to present to them. And I think that that is something that I have found to be very encouraging in conversations is I will have people message me back and say, your resume looks really interesting to me as well. I actually really wanna get to know you too. And I think that that's important too, is you'll meet people who will come into a meeting and just tell you all about themselves and they'll leave the meeting. There's people who will come into a meeting, tell you all about themselves and then ask about you. And I think those are the people that it's important to watch out for because those people are the people who actually care about what you're going to be doing and the role of the entire scheme of this industry. And so, sorry, I kind of lost track of the question. I remember it now, but... I think that when you're trying to reach somebody who won't respond to you, go for the person below them. Go look at the company and find somebody else who would respond to you. This actually recently happened to me. I was trying to contact a bunch of people at Warner Media because I was applying into a sound design internship. And I connected with probably like 20 people. I was able to connect with basically all of the sound designers I reached out to, but the top two people, the manager and the head were really hard to get in connection with. And it just took patience. I mean, after three or four months, they finally responded to me. And now I have a meeting on Tuesday with the guy who I responded to like five months ago. And so I think patience is a key factor. If you really want those meetings with these people, it takes time. It might take them six months to get around to your message, but it's about being ready for when they do message you that you still are interested. And so that happens a lot, but I think that you just have to be ready to keep going and acknowledge that, you know, I had this longtime dream of going to Warner when I graduated and I don't think that's going to happen and that's okay. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay going later in my life or seeing what happens, but I think people sometimes get in their heads about I want to be here and when they don't make it they they get really frustrated but it's about learning how to get your way there back whether it's like learning certain skill sets or kind of figuring out from other people who work there how to improve those things well you know I have a lot of friends who work at Universal and Sony and Warner you know the list goes on at like some of like the majors right and I think that those are the people that hit up on LinkedIn and by email the most because they're getting hit up by people who haven't done enough research. Like, yeah, it's totally cool if you, if like, you know, your dream job is to work at a major, but have you looked into other alternatives? You know, what was, what was kind of funny there is you started to answer the question that I was about to ask are, is really like, has your career vision changed since you've started university? And it sounds like it has. Yeah, definitely it has. And I think that the reason it has is because I was so open to being actively engaged in actually doing these things to find what I loved because I was so afraid of waiting till I graduated and then trying to do something and absolutely hating it. Um, And so it has changed. I mean, when I first came into college, I didn't think I was gonna be in sound. My freshman year, I ended up in college, I was studying film 
And I had a really rough quarter because winters up in Santa Cruz can get very isolating. Our school is a very big forest and it just gets very foggy and the weather kind of took an effect on my mood. And I found myself listening to a ton of music. And at that point, I was just feeling so much better listening to music. It was getting me through my my funk. And it was at that point where I was like, this is it. Why did I never think putting these two together? And at that point, that's when I changed my pathway. And from that point, my career trajectory changed like four or five times, even till today, where I'm currently working as a music supervisor assistant. And I want to look into sound design. And I think that you always feel that is there's so much opportunity that it, it is really hard to kind of identify that. And so I definitely think my career trajectory has changed through my time at the university, but everything has been worth it. I mean, every internship I had has provided me with skill sets that I carry on to the next. And everybody is always happy to hear about certain things. I mean, my current internship, we talked about my freshman year internship and they knew each other. And I just feel like there's reasons for everything. And how good does that make you feel when you're talking to somebody and you're like oh I worked at this company they're like oh I actually know this person do you know them and you're like yeah I've worked on a bunch of projects with them yeah and I think that it's even funnier when they understand the culture and you guys can relate on things that you didn't think you would be able to and they understand you on a way deeper level and I think that that is something also when you're connecting with people is that you do want to make sure, like I said, to identify those people who do make you feel great after you leave the meeting and you feel all happy inside, like your conversation really excites you and latch on to those people. I mean, obviously don't annoy them, but I just had this happen and I've been texting with like two of the people who I've had very professional conversations with and I enjoy talking to them so much. I could like, this doesn't even feel like connecting anymore. I feel like I've found new friends. I like, I'm genuinely so happy as crazy as it sounds. It all came from me not seeking something out of them. Like this woman who I speak to is a production coordinator at Lucasfilm and she's a wonderful woman named Christian. And I don't know what it was, but from the day we had our first conversation, I just really liked her personality. I liked the way that she talked to me. She treated me like an adult and we talk all the time. I could talk to her and not talk about her work. I mean, it's just those conversations for somebody in entertainment because they're constantly in work meetings and their, their friends are typically work friends. So it's nice to have someone else who not only looks up to them and is asking them, you know, some career advice, but mostly just asking them general questions and just you, you forge a real friendship. Definitely. I see it as a great way to take them out of their day that they're in too, is people like are stuck in this zoom world. And of course, like having zoom meetings with them doesn't change that, but making sure that they feel like I really just want to hear how their day is, is something really important. I have a mentor, which I knew we want to talk about this a little bit. Um, I, I wish that, uh, okay, yeah, because I, I guess I did send you some of the questions ahead of time. Cause I was like, the next question that I wanted to ask her is, do you have a mentor? So who is your yeah. mentor? I have a lot. I was thinking about this as you asked me, and I don't want to miss out on a lot of these people because I feel very special, but I do have two official labeled mentors. They were provided to me under that term. The first person is a woman by the name of Kate Myers. I met Kate through the Warner Music Group classroom series, 
And it was really awesome. We got provided the opportunity to be paired with a mentor. Um, so she is the manager of strategic partnerships over at Warner in Nashville. And it's been an awesome time talking to her. Like I said, though, before, I don't go into conversations with Kate looking to have conversations about what she's doing at work because I know that that's what's consistently being discussed, that that's at the forefront of the minds at all time. And so my goal is to really have a conversation and get to know her on a deeper level because I hope to have her as a strong support system to go to when I'm facing issues, whether it's with a class or whether it's applying to a job. She's always been there to support me and to give me advice and then to send me pictures of her bunnies. I mean, I just can't express to you though, like the relationship that you feel when like, you know, you think that you have to be all professional and then all of a sudden you guys just have this refreshing conversation that you can be yourself. You guys just start um, texting, right? And it's, and it's a yeah. different, it's a completely different relationship and a completely different vibe than what you had ever imagined it would be. Yeah. And I, it's as, as cool as it is to say this, like, I hope I get to work with her in the future. Like there's so many things that I hope for as I move forward and I'm just so grateful. And I think that I'm just really open to learning. I mean, me and Kate are on different spectrums of what we're doing in our lives, but I'm just really interested in hearing about that because every person has something different to offer in the entire scope of it all. Um, and it makes people's jobs easier when you try to understand people's jobs, when it's not just the things you're focusing on. I know that this happens a lot where people don't understand what a lighting person is doing or why they're standing there. And it, had they take some time to look into it, they would understand and appreciate that person more for their role. Um, so I think it's important to understand the large amount of people that it takes to build a team. Um, but I'm not gonna forget my other mentors. Um, Lauren May is another mentor of mine. I met her through UC Santa Cruz. She is through a program that I'm a part of that's for former foster youth. And she is amazing. She's very opening. She takes me on beach walks. Of course, we social distance. But it's really awesome to get the opportunity to have somebody locally who is not affiliated with my career at all and is really just there to ask me how my week has been. I think that it's been a great relationship to have, and I think that it teaches me a lot, but it also just gives me somebody in my support system to look at. I know that me and her will also just stay close all the time, but yeah, as I was mentioning before, Christian Streety is awesome. Um, she's become a real mentor of mine, even though she might not think that. It's been an amazing time having conversations with her. And then just some new people who I've been speaking to, who I can see me having friendships with them for a while. This guy named Dijon, who works over at Apple. And yeah, I mean, these people in a way all become my mentors at some sort because I feel like I have been able to maintain these conversations with them and going back to them. And they do see me as a, as a support system in a way and they know that and I thank them for that. So I think it's always really important to thank the people who are helping you because when I go into those meetings, I'm not asking them about internships. I'm not asking them about anything, but later down the line, when I see something that comes up, and I say, oh, this is something I'm really interested in. I'll message them and I'll yeah, say, hey, because they'll probably I, know somebody at those companies because they're, you know, they've been in the business longer than you have. Or, you know, maybe yeah. they've worked with people at those companies or you're able to look at their LinkedIn networks. And, you know, it's just it provides you with a lot of it kind of gives you a bit of a leg up than applying to like the next level of jobs. 
I rarely do get referrals. I mean, I I don't go after that when I am having these conversations. I get a lot of feedback, which I think helps a lot. And the feedback I've received from these people has often led me to interviews without their referrals. So it definitely helps regardless if people think it does or not. I think people are often going for the referrals and that's the biggest mistake somebody can make because you will never get a referral from somebody who doesn't know your work. And that's something that actually Nicole Black um, taught me. I actually had, I was very fortunate where I have a plenty full of people who came here to UC Santa Cruz, Marty Knoxon, Ashley Nicole Black, tons of other successful entertainment people who are willing to have one hour conversations with me back when I think summer was going on. And so I spoke to Ashley Nicole Black and she gave me this wonderful piece of advice of like, you know, like, we're not going to come out of this meeting and I'm going to refer you to anything. I don't know you two. Like, she was very like honest. Ashley Nicole Black, the comedian? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so um, she's wonderful. She's a great comedian. She writes TV shows. She's a producer as well. In our conversation, though, she gave me a very piece of advice that was like, you know, I'm not going to be referring you to roles. You're going to have to find somebody who knows you well enough to refer you to roles and be able to validate that you're good at what you're doing. And at that point, I recognized that it was really important for me to find these people who are in my field, who I can send them my stuff and say, hey, here are some things I'm working on. Can you give me feedback? Because then if I ever want to apply to a job, you know, at let's say Netflix, I can go to the people I was showing my work to and say, hey, you know, I know we've had multiple conversations where I've showed you my work. I'm really interested in this position. What do you think? And you leave it up to them. And at that point, they say, well, I'm a, you know, I do know your work. You've sent it to me. Yes, let me send you a referral in. And right, so exactly. I know the director yeah. of sketch comedy at Netflix or right. something. And then they can, you know, you, you put the ball in their court if they want to do it. So that way you're not right. putting anyone on the spot. You're not right. really insinuating anything or even asking. It's just, do you think I'm good enough for something like this? And if the answer is yes, then they will do what they can to help you. If not, then it's you know, then you can come back in a year or two and try again. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think that that's something important to remember also is failure and rejection should really build you up. Um, I don't think it should tear you down. And I think that that's the hardest thing to learn when getting into this industry is there's just tons of a rejection. And that's something you'll hear from everybody. My parents were telling me that when I was growing up. And just being comfortable with that rejection, taking it and trying to transform it into a new way to acquire what you want will not only push you to get new skills, but it will push you to also break those barriers and show the company that you're reapplying to that you really want that position and that you did X, Y, and Z to acquire it. Um, and that happens to me all the time. And even this year, I applied to an internship for the fifth year and I didn't get it, but I got the interview and that's farther than I had gotten any of the four previous times. So I applied again and we'll see kind of what happens now. But I think that being okay with reapplying yourself and trying to build a better you with, like I said, getting involved in student opportunities and just pushing yourself to do stuff. People just want to see that you're working, I think is at the core of it. People want to see that you're actually doing what you say you want to do. Gives, it gives you an opportunity to talk about something more than just, I'm a student taking a songwriting class, right? Definitely. And, and you'll always get those pieces of advice when you're in those meetings. And I think it's nicer to get past that because you don't want to just go to 20, 30 meetings and have somebody say, go do it. You're not doing it. And 
you would just feel stuck because if you couldn't start doing it, then you wouldn't know what to do. And so it can be really hard, I think, to find those scenarios where you can work and do what you want, but it does happen and it's available in other departments that people might not be looking at. So this is kind of directly to students, but if you're in your college and they're not offering opportunities and sound or music and you really want to be involved and you're in film and for some reason they don't offer it look into theater arts department look into other arts departments look into the game and video department start recording your friends who are who are skateboarding you know what i mean yeah. like like get get Definitely. some sort of experience because that if you get that first level of experience you're like okay like i know how premiere works or i know how audacity works or or photoshop and and then you start to amass these skill sets and you've actually used it for more than just a class project, right? Because like the yeah. classes are great, but once you start to have extracurricular activities where you're applying the knowledge that you're learning to something that's bigger, a personal project that you could speak passionately about because passion takes you so far in this business, it won't take you all the way, but it'll take you quite far. That is the best way to get to the next step. And then yeah. like you were saying before, then you start outsourcing and you're saying, okay, like who do I know in theater? Or who, who do I know in this department? Who's able to provide me with you know a three-month internship or even two yeah. weeks of work yeah and then when you're there so I'm I'm always learning I think that's one thing that I also just want to like make a huge deal out in this conversation is like this whole entertainment industry you just have to be such an open learner and I think that's the beauty is that I always thought that I'd have to go to college and more school to get higher education but I learned so much in my internships and I think that that comes along with once you're in the room and, you know, once you're unfortunately virtual or online, you need to be hustling and connecting with everybody that that person you're working for knows. And you need to make sure that you're acknowledging that you're only going to be here for a certain amount of time. And you want to make sure that you meet the people that interest you that you're working with. And so I'm working for creative control and I reached out to the person who does all other creative licensing and I reached out to them and we connected and had a conversation. I'm also going to connect with somebody else in their department. And so I think that always reaching out to the people you're working for and asking for more work, but then reaching out farther and seeing if other people would talk to you is great because they know that you're working at that company. So they won't forget you right after your meeting. That's not great. That's like astronomical. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I was doing when I was at Webster Hall booking shows. Like I would, you know, pre-COVID, I was able to work directly with my boss and assist him. But also a big part of the job was, you know, we were kind of like the center of like the house party. And like there were always different guests every night, you know, people that worked at labels and agencies and et cetera, like, you know, we're putting in concerts and we have to entertain them. And so right. part of what I just saw in my job description, which was never really written down is get to know all of these people, get to know what yeah. they do. And, you know, it's different because, you know, entertainment is a very, there's a lot of different areas of it. But when you're at a concert, you can get drunk with these people and you could talk to them about music and you could talk to them about skateboarding and you could talk to them yeah. about whatever they want. And you build real relationships that way. And then you get a much yeah. better idea or you're a lot more comfortable reaching out to these people. Yeah, I agree. And I think that understanding that like you already have your, you know, once you're at a company, you basically already have your foot in the door. You're just kind of right in the middle of getting in. And I think that understanding that 
internships are a cycle and that people are always going to be coming in and there's tons of people who want to do what you want to do. And so finding ways to stand out, whether it's being super quick at what you do or always asking for more when the day's done. I mean, I just find that it definitely changes per company. And I've worked at places before where I haven't felt inclined to do that because I just didn't like the work I was doing. And I understand now that that's probably a mistake. And had I had time to go back and fix it, I would. But at the current job I'm doing, I mean, I love doing it so much. I wish they gave me more work. So I'm always asking for more. And I think that that's super important. And I definitely see that it might be able to take me forward where I meet somebody next and then they're like oh there's an opening here and so you just really never know and that's just so amazing I think about this is the more you talk to people the more you hear their stories the more you understand that everybody has such a different pathway and nobody is the same and that one day you could be here and the next day you're in a completely different company working your dream job Um, so I think it's great to always kind of stick clear to what you want to do, but make sure to pursue those things while you're interested in it and not just wait to graduate and start doing those things. That's the biggest piece of advice that I can give to people is to start doing what you want to do now and then reaching out to the people who do it to hear how they like their job, because you'll never know until you hear it, you know? Again, once again, you're one step ahead of my question. It was going to say, <laughs> what is the message that you want to share with students everywhere? And it's to pursue their passions now because, yeah. you know, pursue it while you're still passionate about it. And yeah. maybe you'll still be passionate about it in a year or two years or five years or longer, but do it while you still will enjoy it. And that's how more opportunities will snowball and more of your network will become more useful and more valuable and just keep learning. Because my piece of advice to you is right now, you said you're like, what, 22? Yeah. You know, keep this drive going, you know, for the next, well, for your whole career. But if (laughs) a lot of people kind of fizzle out and kind of get comfy around 25, 26, don't let that happen. Just keep pushing, keep meeting new people until you know everyone in the business, Yeah, which won't be possible because there's always new people coming in. I agree. And I I think that also two things I've learned recently is making long-term and short-term goals for your career are really valuable things to do, not only for when people ask you because you're prepared with those answers, but also really thinking about what you want for yourself in your future. And I mean, I obviously don't know where my life will take me, but at the end, I would love to see myself at the head of a music of department at some company. Um, I don't know where, but I do see that trajectory. And so I think always seeing like the future, um, never settling for what you're being dealt and always kind of looking for what you want, but giving respect while you're at each company um, is super important. One thing I will throw out there for people who are planning to go into sound design or any type of music editorial job is to learn Pro Tools. That is the key thing I've been told recently. And so as I go into my next couple months before graduating, that's the one thing that I'm focusing entirely on is making sure to understand the softwares that are used at certain companies. Um, And that's things that you can find out when you connect with people as well and kind of ask them, you know, what softwares are you guys using? What should I get comfortable with? What type of proficiency level is needed? And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've been doing this past year or two it's pretty it's pretty wild to think about all the people I've spoken to though I'm I'm very fortunate that everybody really gave me their time and to speak with them yeah 
That's great. Well, Mia, thank you so much for giving me your time and sharing all of your wisdom with the future generation of the music business, even though you are part of that as well. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, I look forward to staying in touch and who knows, hopefully maybe I can come back on this podcast in a year or two and I'll be in a completely different place in my life. So we'll see. Maybe you'll be head of a department at at a music company. Who knows? Maybe you'll be working with me. You never know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely really appreciate you doing this. And I hope that, you know, my story can help with understanding that you don't need to know people like your family in the industry to get your way in and that passion and, and the grit really does prevail. So you definitely just have to keep that hustle going, which can often be tiring, but tea and coffee and energy is just the best way to get through it. So I, yeah, I, I thank you for playlist. letting me be here. <laughs> definitely a good playlist. Hey everyone, just wanted to check back in and shout all of you out who are taking the time to check out the podcast, especially those of you who have been sharing it with your friends and writing me such nice messages on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you or someone you know has an awesome story that you think should be shared with the world, feel free to write me directly on any of our socials at The First Act Podcast. Until then, stay safe.